I was a vinyl collector a lot in undergrad more because when I was an undergrad, Blink-182 was doing a bunch of their like splatter series vinyls, yeah. vinyl with splatter. So I got all the albums, had it like ready. I was like the person at three in the morning, like ready to click send or to click buy. And I mean, I enjoyed it, but it was one of the unfortunate hard pressed things I had to sell to make my way over here. Yeah. Um, was go. I remember one of my friends that has never lived anywhere else really in her life. She was like, wait, why did you sell those? And I was like, some of you had ever moved across the country alone and it shows. Exactly. <laughs> like when I was getting into collecting, like when I wanted to get into collecting was the year that I was going to, that I applied to graduate school. I was like, I'm going to start collecting, but I've got to wait until wherever I move. Yeah. And so when I moved out to Massachusetts, I got my first paycheck and I was like, all right, I found a guy on, on Craigslist who had posted, I'm getting rid of this turntable. And if you buy it, I'll throw in these 15 records. They were like Pink Floyd and Journey and Rush. And I was like, I like all that stuff to like get me started at least. And so I bought that uh, that whole setup. That everything he gave me was only seventy five dollars, and it was an Audio Technica turntable. Like it was a good entry turntable, yeah. and I was like okay with that. And so I've just been collecting for the last almost exactly seven years now. Nice. So and now I have like seven hundred, and I used to have more. Like the whole thing, yeah. Um, <laughs> But like last year, I did a big downsize and mm. sold a bunch just because yeah. I wanted to have a savings account. Welcome to the Edge of Punks podcast. This is your host, Craig Bideman, bringing you another uh, episode of a conversation with me and someone who's like an educator in the world and has like a punk background and whatever. That's the podcast. That's what we do here. We've been doing it for a few years and we're back with a, another slew of episodes for you to listen to. Today I'm chatting with my friend uh, Phoenix Lawson. They work out in San Francisco, California, doing some really cool work that you'll get to hear 
about uh, later on. We are a podcast that is featured on the uh, Connect EDU network. So if you go to connectedu.network, you can learn about a whole bunch of great new podcasts and educational opportunities and just really cool things that a lot of professionals in higher education are doing with their lives. Uh, this episode, you also get to hear some tunes from the fantastic new Sharp Tooth album, which is called Transitional Forms, that came out on Pure Noise Records earlier this summer. And it is a fantastic record. You're definitely going to need to uh, adjust the volume uh, for this episode when the music changes here and there. You might have already heard that in the opening. But yeah, hopefully I didn't catch you off guard too much. But uh, glad to be back with another new episode. We're going to jump right into this conversation conversation with Phoenix. Hope you dig it. And here we go. Uh, so I'm sitting here with my friend Phoenix Lawson. How are you doing tonight? Uh, doing well tonight for you. It's still like, yeah, I was about to say yeah. it's still, it's like afternoon for you. Like, like, we're, we're getting into the evening here. Yeah. It's weird. Time difference is so, it's one of the most weird things, but yeah, doing yeah. well. Doing well. Do it on the West coast. I miss it great out here i miss it a whole lot we uh we are in the midst of possibly a nice storm tonight so i'm excited Mm -hmm. for that it's nice it's humid and gross and yet i'm still wearing overalls (laughs) that is i it's a a choice (laughs) yeah what i miss the most about the midwest which may make me a freak of nature but that's a compliment for me is that (laughs) san francisco like gets almost no thunderstorms like whatsoever like it'll rain Mm -hmm. like hell but, like, you will never hear a clap of thunder or see mm-hmm. any lightning. And if you do, you're, like, bored all the windows. Um, and I, <laughs> I miss that. Like, I just miss having those nights where it's, like, hella thunderstorm. Because I'm, like, I'm going to sleep so well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to have a nice just, like, movie night with a fort on the ground and just mm-hmm. really just relax. So. Well, and where I was from in Oregon, I had never really experienced a thunderstorm before moving out here to the East Coast. So now I'm just like a big fan of them. Our cats aren't, but it's fine. Cool. So why don't you tell folks a little bit about who you are, what you do, how you got to where you are, things like that. Well, you said you didn't want to be here all night, so it's going to be hard to answer that question. <laughs> um, well, so yeah, as Craig to say, my name is Phoenix Lawson. They, them pronouns. I currently am working as, um, it's called an expeditions teacher, but I teach two courses, college readiness and adulting 101 for some in public schools. So Hold on. It's called adulting 101. It is called adulting 101. We're trying to create something like that at UMB. So we're going to talk. Continue. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, no, you're fine. I have definitely been talking to more people than I've been seeing. It's catching more um, buzz, the concept of quote-unquote adulting. It's like home ec on steroids, which that's the way I like to design it. Um, So I teach that along with college readiness. I was hired for college readiness, and then they were like, we have this adulting class. Do you want to try to teach it? And I was like, fuck yeah, I want to teach it. Um, So I'm currently doing that right now for a local charter school in the Bay Area. They have schools in, it's it's Summit Public Schools. They have schools in the Bay Area and also in Washington. So I teach for multiple of those schools because the way they run their electives, it's this weird, like we go in two week intervals at each school um four schools max so i teach at four different schools so for anyone who is listening to this in bay area you will be like you're a crazy person because my four schools are in 
El Cerrito, Richmond, Daly City, and Redwood City. Um, none of those are near each other necessarily. Um, I was going to say they must be a little bit far off. Yeah, they're they're just they're not they're unnecessary. Um, I would say Daly City is the easiest one for me in San Francisco, but that is what I do currently. Um, background that led me there in undergrad, I did get my uh, bachelor's degree in health communication from the University of Kentucky. So definitely, that's where my basketball love really like christened because I went to like NBA U. So all of the players, my freshman year was our national championship year. So the Anthony Davis boys, like that was that. All the way until my senior year, I believe, was the De'Aaron Fox. No, the year before De'Aaron Fox and Kevin Knox, which would have been, oh, my Jesus Christ. Fuck. Not a <laughs> I used to know this, like, vividly, but the team before De'Aaron Fox was the team that was my senior year. Um, then after that, decided to take my talents over to San Francisco to get my master's in higher education and student affairs, which the higher education piece of that is what I'm carrying over into the summit role. If you had told me five years, if you told me before I started summit that I would be teaching K through 12, I'd laugh at you hysterically and would still continue laughing at you. Um, but this is (laughs) something that's. I've definitely enjoyed the concept of and just been enjoying the ride so far. So that's what Mm -hmm. I'm currently doing in the professional world. Mm -hmm. Um, In my like semi-private life, my biggest focuses are mental health, suicide advocacy. I'm sorry, mental health advocacy, suicide prevention. I definitely do a lot of work with that. I worked with a program back in the day called Stop Youth Suicide. Mm -hmm. Um, It's with University of Kentucky Adolescent Medicine just essentially helping spread the word about mental health, try to end that stigma about talking about it um, and really acknowledging that. I also am trying to partner with another company called Hope for the Day. They're based out of Chicago. They Mm -hmm. go to a lot of punk concerts, so you may have seen them come out before. Um, I have one of their stickers up here. Solid, yeah. I have one of the wristbands. Mm -hmm. Um, Their biggest tagline is, it's okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, have hope so definitely have enjoyed them and then in the fun set of my life yeah I'm definitely a big pop collector NBA like super fan which we'll talk about mm-hmm. um, pop punk punk whatever you want anything under that genre umbrella I love um, big tattoo enthusiast as well so this pandemic is really trying me right now oh yeah because um, California they're not open yeah no they're like really well so apparently in Santa Clara County it's like San Jose area they tried to open them, but, like, the first day they opened, they were immediately, like, no roll it back. Because mm-hmm. the, like, number of cases that day just, like, spiked it up. Like, nope, no, 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 no. Yeah, we, our tattoo shops opened again a little over a month ago. Yeah. So I've already gone in and got two, two done in the last couple of weeks. Indeed. And they were hand pokes, too. They're not even, like, with a gun. So they Stick took a little bit longer. Yeah, they're, no, they're beasts, but... They're they're kind of tranquil at times. Like when you get yeah. into it, like it's whatever. Yeah. So well, and he does it differently. Like it's not necessarily a stick and poke with like a a needle and some pen ink. It's mm. uh like legitimately tattoo needles, um, in a proper shop. Oh. Like it's legit and it's wild. I'll have to show you his his account. It's wild. Um, sure. but so during undergrad, what were some of the things you were involved in doing? Because you remember, I remember you telling me you were an RA at one point, and you were involved in some other stuff. Can you tell me a little bit about what undergrad looked like for you? Yeah, so undergrad for me, the biggest philosophy I wanted in undergrad, so my college like route was 
undergrad, I want to go to a large school in a small area, um, in a small town. And then grad school, I wanted to go to a smaller school in a large city, hence hmm. UK and USF. Yeah. Um, but when I got into undergrad, I was like, I want to do everything, everything at all. So <laughs> um, started out with like the student athlete route with baseball, dabbled in football too, but the football team wasn't that great. Um, and due to concussions and things like that, I was like, you know, I think baseball sounds significantly smarter than football. Um, so decided to take that route, but then was realizing like the harsh hoods of, wow, I don't have financial support anymore. Um, so ended up getting a job with a career with their, with our career center. And that was actually the beginning of my student affairs journey, believe it or not. That was my first thing that was like, I enjoy helping people. If sports doesn't work out, if sports don't work out, then I can help people. This seems like a good medium. I guess this is fine. Um, and that got even more crystallized as I became an RA after my first year and stayed an RA throughout. So I was like the res lifer for life, where I knew nothing else other than res life, live, mm-hmm. split, like eat, sleep, breathe it. Um, there is a breed. There is a yeah, whole breed. Yeah, there was a whole brief. Um, but yeah, I kind of did a little bit of everything, dabbled in the fraternity life. And then as I was like coming more in terms of my gender and everything, I was like, yeah, I don't really, I don't like this. Um, plus this yeah. is like Southern frat too, where like that's king. So you can't really like, there's mm-hmm. not much room for wiggle room. They will almost win any battle. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though I was like did athletics, things like that, like that was a big part of my life, but I don't like talk about it as much now. Mostly because my injuries kind of piled up. So for those who know, I tore my ACL for the third time, third, in my junior going into senior year on just a routine, just trying to catch a routine, um, just fielding play, trying to catch a ground ball. No, someone was throwing a ground ball to the first at me because I was going to field it. I was a pitcher and I just came down wrong on my right foot on the base and it just, it just came out from under me. Um, oh. Almost exactly how um, the other day, Jonathan Isaac of the Orlando Magic just tore his ACL. Mm. It's just a simple, like, you hop in the air and everything is fine. You land awkwardly wrong. Everything is not fine. Yeah. Um, so that was three of three. And at that point, I was like, I'm going to try to worry about a professional life that doesn't have to deal with playing sports or mm-hmm. worry about walking more. <laughs> or so, getting injured by yeah, so, doing a bare minimum. <laughs> exactly. So I decided to focus on walking more and that became that. But injuries have been a big story in my life. I'm that person that when it comes to injuries or health in general, I can't like, I don't get normal sick and I don't get just like sprains. I have to like break the whole leg off or I have to catch the plague. Are <laughs> <laughs> the two ways that I get hurt or sick. Yeah. Which, I mean, the plague's making a comeback, so now's your chance. (laughs) I I was, so, it's a funny thing you say that, because this whole time I've been like, I just, I wish we knew, and actually I think we know that it's not the case, that if you could get COVID and it was done, like if you get it once and you don't get it again, there's a part of me that was like, I don't want to get it, but like, I kind of just want to get it over with, because my track record says I'm going to get it, Um, because I actually got the swine flu, and that was the out, with like the last, like, almost Mm -hmm. pandemic outbreak. So it was not fun. Um, yeah. That was like my freshman year of high school. Um, this is the epitome of my injury life. I had swine flu on top of another strand of flu that somehow got into me. 
Plus, I was also recovering after breaking my neck in football. Oh, my God, dude. So That's wild. Yeah. Um, making it past that at the age of 13 is enough to be like, yeah, I'm a hard ass. Cool. That's the most punk thing I've done so far. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, that's punk as fuck. <laughs> so uh, when you're going through college and getting injured, clearly, um, what was it about like doing like the RA role that made you actually want to eventually go into doing higher education administration like that, that in grad school? Or was it because of that role? It was definitely because of that role. If you had asked me at the time, I was just like, I'm going to keep it a buck with you. I'm honestly doing this to get free housing. Like, Which uh, is valid. It's valid. But also for me, I had the unique thing of, yes, I was doing it for housing, but also... Mm giving my like family dynamic like broken home thing like my past is my past but I also didn't have a home to go back to so Mm -hmm. and I didn't have the money to sustain living even in Lexington Kentucky so I was like it's either I'm an RA or I have to drop out and or be homeless so Mm. it's either this or nothing um so while I did that I was like well I might as well enjoy this because I don't my meter runs in a very, I have to love what I'm doing or I fucking hate everything about it. Yeah. So it was like, I might as well find some way. To, what can I enjoy about this? And it was honestly just interacting with the students, trying to help them and knowing that they kind of looked up to me as someone that's like important to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't start taking it seriously until junior year. Um, junior year, I was like, I'm going to be the best RA ever. Like I'm going all out. I made, this was a summer removed from me watching all of friends over the entire summer. Just been oh boy, that's an undertaking. Yeah, it was a lot. So all 10 seasons, every single episode. Um, so that was my thing. And I was like, Ooh, I have an idea. Um, because when I binge things, I actually watch it on my phone. Cause it's just easier for me to like go from one thing to another. Um, so I just had Netflix up on my phone. I was like, I have an idea. So I would take screenshots with the subtitles on of like certain moments that I liked or that I thought were cool or funny or quirky. And that ended up being every student's door deck. Oh my gosh. So (laughs) over the summer, because the RAs usually move in like a couple weeks before move in, um, I set up the whole floor with their Dordex. Um, One of my residents' names was Phoebe, so I was like, excellent. Um, Her door was king. Um, And then like made our lobby into Central Park. Um, I like made the couches look all nice and all that stuff too. I set up like a makeshift coffee area. Like it was legit. So it was that, but then it was also some residents who were literally moving stuff in who would run back down to find me at the check-in table to be like, oh my God, you're the best RA ever. If this is the floor <laughs> we're going to get, are you my RA? You're great. Can you be my RA? And I was like, hey, whatever. Um, so it was seeing that, getting the value in that and realizing that like, oh, people care about the things I do Mm -hmm. um because my overwhelming like arch in life has always been to help out others um it's something I'm trying to work on but I will at this point still under all circumstances put someone else's needs over my own um because that's just who I am because my needs are seeing others happy yeah Um, so I'm willing to like put it all out on the line just to make sure that they have a smile on their face so this role really gave me that opportunity to be like yo what's up how can I do anything for you because a lot of students less so well actually more so now because they're building more lavish res halls that are ruining the student experience but neither here nor there um that's valid that's a valid critique so 
it was more of like I would just be there and most residents didn't know the value of their RA. They didn't even know what an RA was most of the time. Mm-hmm. They were just like, why do you have the single room? Why don't you have to pay yeah. uh, room and board? Like, why are you always at the desk? Who are you? Um, so once I explained my value to them and be like, yo, I'm here for you. And they're like, for what? And I was like, for anything. They're like, what's your specialty? Anything. Like, you wear- I know every- the school. I know this job. I know it can help you. <laughs> I I've do been through all. this stuff. What do you need? Like, if, with this, if it's within these campus walls, I got you. Um, and it was through helping with them, building those connections, building those relationships. I look through like Instagram or other apps and I just see my like friend list. I'm like, wow, these are all former residents or RAs or something. And yeah. those connections just stay. So I think that's really what got the foundation. But it wasn't until my RD, my resident director, hall director, whatever the term is for whoever, whatever region you're in, mm-hmm. um, she recommended also she's the greatest person ever Casey Rowe fantastic lover to death um she was the person who was like maybe you should consider doing this for a career and I was definitely the student I was like you can yeah and she was like what do you think I'm doing I was like I don't know I thought you were just kind of here yeah <laughs> that's exact you're not the first person to tell me that yeah <laughs> so I was like oh I mean like I guess, because I was at a crossroads coming to the end of undergrad. I was like, I under no circumstance want to stay in Kentucky, but I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And my program didn't do the greatest job selling like careers after the degree. They were just like, okay, you gave us all the money, you can give us a leave. Um, So I was like, I don't know. And then started looking at master's programs and that was it. So she really honed into it and let me see like what... I do well in that role that would translate into student affairs. And this kept me here so far. That's wild. Yeah. I mean, I, I've I've talked a little bit about this uh, in the past, but like when I was in my undergrad at Oregon state, I had no idea that people did this for a job, like worked in higher ed for a job, even though like there were people that like ran the office that I was like participating in. And I was like, Oh yeah, you do this. This is like your job. Like you hang out with college students all day. That's gotta be exciting slash stressful. Cause I was a very stressful student leader. Like even as an RA, like, um, when I was an RA, I, my favorite door deck that I ever did for students was um, the, the quarter before we were on quarters. Mm-hmm. So the quarter before uh, I asked each of them like what their favorite song was. And then for the next quarter, I like put up a door deck that had the album art and had a song title or song lyric from one of the songs and their name. And yeah, that was the fun that the fun one that I did, and it also made me learn about a lot of bad music. So, <laughs> yes, like oh, I'm not going to listen to this at all. <laughs> I did not know how bad it got until I started teaching high school students, and I asked mm. some of them to like send me their music out to make a playlist. And I got through like the first five student songs. I was like, I can't make this playlist. Nope. Like, I physically cannot. Um, when I taught high school, I started every single class period with a music video. So when they walked in, there was a music video. There's music playing while they came in. Something mm-hmm. to watch, something to listen to. Mm-hmm. And I never took suggestions. I was like, I'm going to play what I want you to see and hear. <laughs> and still, to this day, I have students that were like, I'm so glad you've told me about attack attack or thrice or whatever band that I was sharing with them that day and, or back then. And so 
there's just a, or August burns red. And I was like, yeah, I'm really glad that you uh, dig that now because yeah. I wasn't sure if any of you were paying attention. So I'm glad mm. that you dig it. Um, but yeah, so having taught in the K-12 system, I know that it's a little bit of a pain, uh, mm. but what are some of the things that you're kind of like getting from it that you're enjoying about that whole process? Having said that you never expected to go that route. Yeah, no, never expected to go that route. Um, I just did because I was getting burnt out in my previous role, um, working as an outreach specialist. So doing like the admissions, like background admissions work um, at the university I was at, not to like put everything on blast. So I think it was just, it was stale, mostly because of the leadership there. I loved my staff. I loved the team I worked with, but everything above that was just kind of murky. And then I was like, I want to do something. Am I ready to leave higher ed overall? Mind you, this is like three months after getting my degree. I was like, do I want to leave higher ed after all? Yeah. Uh, and then... And again, not the first person to tell me that. <laughs> like, it's a common thing to, like, have those doubts about going into higher ed. Exactly. I will guarantee it won't be the last as well. Mm-hmm. So we were doing that. And then I had a friend who I worked with in Res Life. She recommended um, the job she's, she was currently teaching there and still is teaching there. And I was like, I mean, I'll look into it. This is the most like relatable thing I could do while still being like, this is the most relatable thing to my degree, but leaving higher ed at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I looked into it, decided to do it. And I think what I enjoy the most is like, I get deep connections with the college students and everything like that, but high school students, especially those like from the nine through 12 range, they're still easily impressionable to where like that was in my role as an outreach specialist. When we did college friends and things like that, you could tell them anything because they were going to believe you. So mm-hmm. there were definitely times a student asked me something admissions wise that I was like, I genuinely don't know this, but if I say something, if I say nothing, they won't come here. So I just like bullshitted something and they were like, oh my God, that was great. I was like, I definitely lied to you. Um, but it was like <laughs> inconsequential. So um, there was a fact of like, they just care. Um, mm. the, it was ending because we go in rounds. So similar to quarters, because um, you go in four rounds. We, it was at the end of that third quarter when I came in. Um, it was ending the my rotation at one of the schools. I had, there was a student who wanted to switch out of my class, which that's fine because all of my students, when I started teaching adulting, were supposed to be in quantum lab. Mm-hmm. Make, make of that what you want to, but they're supposed to be in there. Last second, switch it to adulting. And I was like, oh, not only do I have a lot of students who don't know me, but they also don't want to be in this class. <laughs> um, so one student was going to switch out and my teacher was, uh, my dean was telling me that. I was like, cool, let me know. And then she sat me down and she was like, Phoenix, um, he was going to switch, but he said that he really enjoyed your class and loved the partnership and didn't want to lose that. So he was going to try to make this work. And I was like, I've been teaching this class for a whole three days at the time. And I was <laughs> like, I'm not, okay, I'm not going to like devalue I'm going to take it. But I was like heart warmed. And I was like, this is how like what am I doing um I undervalue myself a lot which is unfortunate something I'm working on Mm -hmm. but I was like I can't fathom how this child is enjoying having me around and I haven't even done anything I don't don't even know what I'm doing yet I never know what I'm doing Mm -hmm. but it was experiences like that that made me think of 
wow, there's value here. There's something that they're not getting, mm-hmm. um, whether it be speaking to my experience as a black person or as a non-binary person, or even being the first tattoo they've seen, the first, I'm um, sorry, the first teacher they've seen wear tattoos openly and will under no circumstance cover them. I've flat out told them on multiple media circumstances. I was like, if you're, if the deans told me that I had to cover these up, I would quit immediately. Yep. So it's just who I am. And I think it was just the fact of teaching them to be themselves and that they have a voice. Yeah. So. I dig that. I dig that a whole lot. Like there's, um, there's a lot of power in students seeing something like that, especially at a younger age. Cause like when I was teaching high school, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of my visible tattoos weren't very present i had like a couple under my arms that peeked out every now and again but beyond that i I wasn't i didn't get my sleeves until graduate school or even into my first job so it's more of like right now with college students them seeing like oh you can actually be a professional and have a a bunch of tattoos that's cool i'm like yeah it is pretty cool because like i i take it pretty seriously especially during my job search where i was like if you honestly think that a bunch of tattoos are going to distract me during or distract students from my work then you don't know how tattoos work (laughs) or how or how human nature works go figure i I am very fortunate that we are growing up and growing through the time that we currently are like i'm Mm -hmm. glad that i grew up now because this definitely wouldn't have flown like 20 years ago so there would have been there would no room for it no um because i'm a very i don't think people who don't know me well would describe me this way but people who truly know me would describe me as pretty brash in the sense Mm -hmm. that I fucking care really hard about what I care about. Mm-hmm. But once I've decided I don't give a fuck, you cannot make me give a fuck. So <laughs> I decided at a very young start of like, I'm going to wear these tattoos. I'm going to dress the way I want to dress. And if I'm going to show that this is professionalism yeah. because it's my actions, not my dress or my look that dictate that. So fuck off of that. So yeah.
So what got you into punk stuff, like punk music or the whole lifestyle or whatever? What got you into that initially? Was it Blink-182? It was. Um, <laughs> of course it is. Um, I am still of the, it's like, who who was it? Was it Blink? Was it Blink and Green Day? Was it like the Rancid Days? Was it fucking the Ramones? Like, who was it? Um, mm-hmm. I am of the Blink and Green Day genre or the generation. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of it came from, obviously, I grew up in San Diego, like right in their backyard. So it was hard not to be influenced by them. Mm-hmm. They started in 92. I was born in 95. So like when they were hitting their peak was when I was starting to listen to music for the first time. Um, so knowing that, but also one of my best friends, um, he was a giant Blink-182 fan. He was at first, he was at like, not gonna lie, he was at like gangly white boy that I was like, he's kind of weird, but like, I'm not off put by it. So that was probably me. Why weird? <laughs> How weird is that? Um, so we ended up becoming really good friends. Um, he was my best friend for a long time. We like dabbled in the band life together as every every preteen to teen does in SoCal um, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And it was great up until, um, God, when, what year was this now? This was maybe 2009-ish, potentially later. I don't know. I've kind of blacked the date out. Um, mm-hmm. He unfortunately committed suicide. Mm-hmm. So after his loss was when I really started committing to like him. Yeah. And, Blink-182 is the band that he loved the most. So I started, like, forming everything around them. So that's actually why I wear this necklace. It's just a normal Blink-182 medallion necklace. Um, But he gave me one, like, a while back. Um, So I've committed to always keeping one. Mm -hmm. It's hard because they've definitely broken throughout the years. I never take it off except when I'm showering. Mm -hmm. So, like, they've broken throughout the years. And one time I was devastated because I was out and I was like, fuck, they don't make it anymore. Like, oh, my God. Like, I was in a puddle. Um, One of my really good friends, she ended up finding it on eBay. And I was like, I'm buying six Um, to make sure, like, when that one breaks, I have another one to pop back on. Yeah. So hopefully that still cycles back because I think I'm, like, on my last two. So I need to, like, just go ahead and... They last for years, but yeah, at the same yeah. time, when it goes, I'm like panic mode. Yeah. Um, so it started with Blink, and it was more like the niche, like which not not niche, not niche. It was the more mainstream at first because I knew of punk, but I didn't know the bands as well. Mm-hmm. I was more of a pop kid. Maroon Five was actually my favorite band growing up. It was my first tattoo. Um, my favorite song from them is called "Not Not Falling Apart." It's from their it won't be soon before a long album, which is my mm. favorite album. Um, and it's like, you know, it's Maroon 5, so it's a story of a girl kind of thing. But yeah. I kind of formed into a story of life and just being like, no matter what happens, no matter all the shit I'm going through and all the shit I have gone through, like, I'm not going to fall. Like, I'm not going to falter. I'm not letting this take me. Um, and then I started to learn that a lot of the punk bands I listened to, this was the time, anything post 9-11 was a time, like, that was a lot of what they were talking about was kind of like the sadness, the depression. Um, Blink-182's Adam song was the first song that I heard like explicitly mention like depression and suicide. Mm-hmm. I was like, wait, other people think this way? I'm not just a freak for like having depression and like not mm-hmm. wanting to be here. Um, so I, I remember when that-, that song came out, like it blew me away because like, because it, it was on the same album cycle as What's My Age Again and... Um, Oh man, what's the other one off of that album? 
all, all, the, this, all the small things yeah uh, on the same album and i'm like wow these guys who like and they had just done what dude ranch so like yeah. everything was a joke until then and then they put out autumn song and you're like what are you doing and then they put yeah. out stay together for the kids on the next album and i'm <laughs> like are you really trying to like get us in our feels i thought you yes. guys were just a bunch of jokesters no that is exactly what they're trying to do they're like we're versatile fuck you um and then they did self-titled, and you're like, yeah. all right, playbook's gone. Yeah, it's gone. You can do it all. All right, I get you. Yeah. Um, but it was that and Stay Together for the Kids, because my parents also divorced around that time. I was like, what the fuck? They're in my head. Mm-hmm. Like, they're really, they're somehow around writing about my life. Yeah. Um, but I can definitely say I was more mainstream at first. Like, the Blink-182s, the Fallout Boys, the Paramours, the Panic at the Discos, who, looking back... I am very adamant to die on the hill of saying they can classify as emo, Panic at the Disco, but under no circumstance will they classify as punk, and I will fight anyone who says different. Oh, no, they're not. No, they're not that at all. I also wouldn't classify them as emo, but I have a whole, you don't, this is a whole <laughs> thing you don't want to go down the road with me about what is emo. <laughs> I, guess, I guess, okay, here's what I'm saying. Because I'm a, I, I am sadly kind of a gatekeeper, and I hate that. <laughs> I but, uh But it's something that, like, I don't think any of most of what people call emo is emo. I call it scene. Like yeah. I'll say it, it's more scene or mallcore. Like my mm. chemical romance, that's mallcore mm-hmm. or scene music. But like, I totally get the whole, like you under, or you understand emo. If you, li- if you recognize these 10 songs, yeah. like those videos that go around and I'm like, Oh yeah. Ah! Because, because I shared that and then you commented and you were like, what the fuck is it? Um, <laughs> I'm like yeah. shaking a computer right now. Yeah, that could definitely, <laughs> if, we need, if we need to have a follow-up on that, I'm definitely down to have a whole episode ah, based on that. It yeah, is, but where did it go from there? Yeah, so from there, it kind of just stuck in that mainstream for a while of like yeah. the Fallout Boys, the Panics, to all the Paramours. There was a little bit of Flyleaf that dabbled in there. Oh, right? don't get me started on Flyleaf. Hey. All around me? Are you kidding yes. me? That was the song that did it. The like breaking yep. Benjamins, Evanescence. Like it just it really went down that whirlwind. So but... we had we had a little we were in like very similar veins because I got way into breaking Benjamin at one point too. <laughs> so I those were bands that like I listened to or knew of, but didn't get into. It was only like I'm gonna follow my main. Mm-hmm. But then, like, dabble in these little other songs, but never dabble listen to the band much mm-hmm. until grad school. Once I got to grad school, I was like, I'm kind of sick of the same, like, seven to 12 bands. Um, and I wanted to learn more. So I posted the thing on Tumblr, and I was like, hi, I listen to these bands. What other bands should I listen to? That was almost four years ago. I'm still getting responses on that. Hell yeah. Um, so... Based off that, the band that I would say influenced me the most post-Blink is the Wonder Years now, but I want to save them because they weren't initially on my radar yet. They're great. They're they're 100% fucking fantastic. I they think put on a great live show, too. They did. The Yeah. So well, I'm definitely going to save my like 10 minutes for them, but it was a day to remember. It was 100% a day to remember because I enjoyed them, but I, I was at a point where I was like, do I like the metalcore scream that much? Like, am I into it? Yeah. But then I noticed, like, when I was angry and I listened to it, I was like, this actually helps so much. Yeah. Like, in a non-destructive way, this helps. 
So oh man, Homesick is such a sick album. What separates yeah. me from you? Common yeah. courtesy. One hundred percent. I have the whole. I have the Homesick album um, art tattooed on my chin. So like, oh sick. That is my whole like thing. So I really fuck with them and. My defining concert that I was like, fuck, yep, this, I'm never changing genres, was in 2016. The lineup was All American Rejects, oh, hey. All Time Low, A Day to Remember, and Blink-182. Oh, yeah, that tour. <laughs> yeah, that fucking tour. So I was like, you've got to, of course I'm going to fucking do this, but every single, you know, usually you're like going through it as the openers, and you're like, they slap, but I don't know them, so I'm going to buy them. Yeah, no, they took everyone on the road yeah. for that tour. This was, like, from the first chord to the last bit of confetti falling. I was like, this fucking slaps. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because that show, I also broke my ribs during a day to remember set. <laughs> because. You're so I, fragile. <laughs> no, I concert hard. So, like. Oh, okay, there it is. It's like, I am at a show. If the show starts at 8, I'm there at noon at the latest that's fair um because like if i if it's a because most punk shows are general admission so i'm like i'm sure if i'm at a certain point in the crowd it's not even going to be worth it damn near so mm-hmm. i'm like i'm getting up to the front mm-hmm. so we were there the show started i think gates the doors open at like six we were there at a smooth like 9 a.m yeah breakfast ready um so we were in the front and they had one of the like immovable like gates like nothing was penetrating it yeah and during a day to remember set like the whole like wave of god just became just pushed on against it and it like kept Uh... pressing i didn't notice i was just like going through it i was like fuck yeah and then that next morning i was like man it hurts to breathe (laughs) um and then like looked at my rib i looked at my sternum and i was like that's more purple than it should be yay they're like yep you have a couple cracked ribs i was like fuck yeah i was like oh i mean um damn that sucks (laughs) great (laughs) ray oh my gosh so what that was four years ago so you're what like 21 (laughs) yeah i miss being I, I, this is going to sound old, but I miss being that age and going to gigs like that. Because mm-hmm. now Katie, my partner, and I will show up to a gig. The first band is, like, if we don't know the first band, we're going, we try to go for every band. But if it's the first band we don't know, we get there in the middle of their set. We stand in the back. <laughs> we, we save our backs. We put in earplugs. We are, we are the gig parents these days um, i saw them last i saw a day to remember last in 2018 in yeah. san francisco and for their newest went, album right yeah and i went with my friends um and one of my friends who i was in my grad cohort with she was like so when the show starts when that first court when the pit opens i'm gonna like um but also before them because we were like we're gonna see the band before them we walk in papa roach and we're like well fuck so see you at the end of the show um yeah the show starts the pit opens i get punched in the face i'm like all right fuck and then i see her leaving but i have my poster in the hand i was like no take this so i like swam over three people to throw her my poster and i was like all right, I'm ready to go, fuckers. Yeah. Um, so still, it's getting, it's wearing on me more and more. And I'm like, I'm going to get to that point soon. Once you I hit 30. <sighs> well, I still got your, your injuries are going to catch up to you. <laughs> but yeah, I did remember. And then now it's firmly like the Wonder Years is definitely what I would say. If it wasn't for the sentimental Blink-182 having to be my number one, they would be it. 
They're like cool. the very like they're one A. They do such a good job. We've seen them like ten times in the last five years or whatever. They come all the time to they love the Northeast. To New England. Yeah, they're like always here. It was actually my last show before the pandemic was so, their their, their their show with uh Spanish love songs and yes. pool kids, free, free throw. throw. Yeah, it was a great gig. Yeah, that was a lot of our friends were playing that show, so it was nice. Oh, um, they were doing the acoustic and the live, so it was yeah. great. That was my last show as well. <clears throat> so, yeah. So, so you've been, you've you've got that lifestyle down. I want to talk. I want to transition a little bit into talking about the NBA because it's back, and I'm so happy, and I'm so excited, and I'm very curious about what your thoughts are right now with this, like reset this restart what is that how do you feel about all that so i will genuinely take the nba in any capacity that is given to me so not only is this great i also think they nailed it i have loved adam silver since day one since he came in as the commish um so i was a smart dude he's a smart dude he knows what he's talking about he knows how to run a business and the bubble is quite possibly the best and honestly only way to do this safely. And um, it's working. 100%. Yeah. There have been no positive tests. None. I mean, knocking on wood, but also, like, yeah. it's hard to conceive how, like, it can, like, in the way they're doing it. Like, they're doing it so well. Mm-hmm. Or even if it does, like, it's a very – they can control it so well in this mm-hmm. bubble. So I love what he did with it. When it comes to this season, so I'll put it out there. I'm a Chicago fan through and through. So Bulls, (laughs) Bulls, Blackhawks, Cubs, Bears, the Bulls want to just – they will get a couple years where they're good and they rip rip my heart out of my chest, Mm -hmm. a.k.a. Derrick Rose, Jimmy Butler, Joe Noah, Carlos Boozer, days. And then they will try to ramp it back up when they had Dwayne Wade and Rondo five years past when I wanted Wade and Rondo. Yep. Um, and now we're just – we're trying to fake that we're good, but any team with Jim Boylan as anything on the team will not be good. So mm-hmm. until we fire him, I'm just accepting us not being good. So it's actually for the best that we're not in the bubble. Um, but come the fall they probably will be because that's probably how they're gonna do next season at this point yeah so this season i have just loved the versatility in players and teams and this season i knew it was gonna be a clusterfuck in the west but i did not know it was gonna be as much of a clusterfuck that the grizzlies have a conceivable chance to make the playoffs yeah and trust me i don't like that either as a blazers fan the Blazers lost like 10 games within three points. We yeah. shouldn't even be in this situation. It's yeah. bullshit. I hate it. The Blazers should be doing much better than they have been. And that game against the Celtics the other day was, one, an incredible comeback. Yes, and, 100%. two, very heartbreaking. I almost feel like you should have gotten a win just for that comeback. Oh, we needed it. And I like I love the Celtics. I've ad- I've adapted the Celtics as my East Coast team because I live here. I can go to the games. They might be a little bit more expensive than I want to pay, but I'm going. Um, but I was I was happy for them to win, but they didn't need the win. The Blazers they needed did. the win. So well, I feel like 
Because I watched that game. There was a conceivable way they could have won it, but they went for the quick two with like it six made seconds. no sense. Yeah, and I was like, I because I when they did it at first, like when he when Dame threw the pass, I was like, this is ingenious. Because what I thought they were gonna do was throw it into Nurkic, then get a quick pass out for a three because yeah. it collapsed. But then when he made it, I was like, you have no timeouts. The only hope and, there was that he would get fouled while making the play, but it was but a wide no open shot. Him. Yeah, it was a wide no open shot. And then that like the like idiotic throw at the end to like try to get it. It was over anyway, but like he threw it straight out of bounds. I was like, I I don't know it anymore. Yeah, uh, me and I was texting with a couple of friends and we we're like, we don't I don't that was a mess. I don't know how that just ended. So But um what do you how do you feel about the the state of the pol- the politics behind the new reset. Like players are putting whatever they want on the back of their jerseys, which is pretty mm-hmm. cool. Uh, Black yeah. Lives Matter is on the court. How do you mm-hmm. feel about that aspect? Well, the one thing I'll say before I dive into that is that it's really fucked in like a karma sense, but also just in like nature sense that the Jonathan Isaac injury happened because he was the one and only player that didn't kneel or wear a Black Lives Matter shirt. And he actually, like, spoke on it a little bit more, saying, like, why he didn't do that. Hmm. Um, which I was like, okay, I mean, it is what it is. Like, I'm not about to sit here and, like, make an argument for that. Like, that's what you're going to do. But everyone, because, you know, everything's political now. They Everyone turned it political, and, like, all the, like, right-wing fucks were like, oh, my God, thank you for standing up for our country. See, this is how a black man should be, all this stuff. And I'm like, what? what so when he tore his acl so many people were like we're going to be praying for you because i'm because you stood up for the flag and blah, blah, blah. i was like none of this is about okay whatever um what yeah no it's <laughs> fucking if you go to like bleacher reports instagram from like maybe three days ago now it'll show that and every those comments are absolutely comedic i just like so i just did a very quick search because i actually didn't know yeah. he injured himself mm-hmm. and the first thing is Fox News. Magic, Magic's Jonathan Isaac, who stood for national anthem while others knelt, suffers torn ACL. Like, <laughs> what the hell? Exactly. Oh, so yeah. Um, I think with that, um, to shift off the like social media, they don't need any more publicity. Um, I love that reaction. I mean, it just goes to once again, that's a master stroke from Adam Silver, but also. Just allowing these – I love the fact that players are actually finally saying, like, yeah, you know what? Fuck this. We're not going to just dribble a ball and mm-hmm. shut up. Um, this is our society as well. Like, yes, I have always been against the significant amount that the majority of NBA players can be paid, mm-hmm. and, or pro athletes in general, and they have a right to speak up just as much as any of us because mm-hmm. this impacts their community largely. Like, the NBA is largely African-American. Mm-hmm. So I just – the only thing that I'm like, this is, I know I'm too ahead of my game, is I was like, I just want a slight little bit more queer inclusion there. Yeah. WNBA does better with that because 100%. You know, WNBA here too. But I'm like, that's the next step because some of y'all who are like preaching for Black Lives Matter will hate it if your son comes out gay. So That's uh, why I like what Dwayne Wade's been doing with his, uh, with his child because that's actually been sending a pretty good message, I think, to the rest of the players my hope is yeah i think it's more of like 
they're hearing it, but I don't know if they're listening to it yet. Yeah. So Dwayne is a good example, and he, like, vaulted into my, like, top three favorite players from doing that alone. But um, he is a good example that I hope carries Mm-hmm. Um, because it's going to take a LeBron James of the world to actually do that to where people are going to listen about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's less of so many of them hate it. I think it's more of just none of them want to be the martyr. None of them want to be the one to say I support it because once they do, they're going to catch all the flack and they don't know how to do that for that. Yeah, that's fair. And I feel like there was, uh, there's been similar reactions to that in the past in other sports. So it's always like a... <laughs> It's weird because we want, if you're of the right mind, you want athletes speaking up and being political, using their clout for good causes. Mm-hmm. And then there's that hesitation of going, there's that fear of going too far, being too political, where like, we're cut, like, like how politicians were okay with um, uh, same sex couples. And then they were married. They were okay with same-sex marriage, but they wouldn't say it. Yeah. They're like, "Oh, whatever," blah blah blah. And then there's like yeah. a whole, like now they can get married and blah blah blah. But like, there's this like time has to pass for like it to get to that level. So like, my hope is that the next level of the NBA or whomever goes in and, and is just like, yeah, queer black people matter, trans black people matter, like. Yes. take it to where it needs to go but it might just be a minute until it happens yeah so i think i'm okay with where it's at but when it comes to the actual play itself i said from the beginning i was a clipper in terms of who's gonna win it all because mm. of their depth mm. however anthony davis is becoming scarier and scarier by yep. the day so I'm still going to stick with the Clippers because Rondo's out. Avery Bradley's out. They don't really have any wings. Kuzma's going to have to play like a god, mm-hmm. which he has been. He's playing really well lately, yeah. and I don't think he gets enough credit. Um, but also, Catavius Caldwell-Pope has to not play like a meme, and I don't know if that's really be possible. So mm-hmm. I think when you get to, like, Kawhi, Paul George, Harold Williams – I just think you're going to have slightly too much for a seven-game series. So that is my thing. I am still – so I'm of the ilk of, like, whoever comes out of the West is winning it because I still think Giannis needs one more good shooter, like elite shooter. He needs a J.J. Redick, and then he wins it. And then See, and that's where I'm. That's where I'm. Like, I've been watching the Bucks play a lot, and like, I'm convinced that they could win it this year. Mm-hmm. Like, my hope is that it's them versus the Clippers in the finals. Like, that would be a fun series to watch. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, I have a hard time not seeing the Bucks at least go to the finals this year. I you say that, but then I also think that people are not giving enough credit to the Raptors. Like, Siakam is a god. And I'm not saying, like, they're the underknown, like, they're the team that people are like, it's clearly going to be the Celtics or the Bucks, but I'm also like, the Raptors? Not only, yes, they had Kawhi last year. Yes, I'm not taking that away. But also, like, they've done it already. Mm -hmm. So they know what it takes to beat Giannis. They know what it takes to beat Joel. They know what it takes to be the – like, they can beat those teams. Mm-hmm. And for the Celtics, I think it's going to come down to Kimball Walker's health. For the Sixers, eh, they can make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, but I don't, I don't see a no. world where they can do it. And then for the Bucks, I think it's going to come down to 
if Giannis gets if they sag off of him for shots and he can confidently shoot it, it doesn't matter how many he's making per se, mm-hmm. but if he can confidently shoot it and doesn't have the Ben Simmons syndrome of like when he sees an open three, he's like, no, I have to pass it. Then I think they could win it. Mm-hmm. That's the key thing. And also obviously Eric Bledsoe has to come back, but it's going to depend on that and how well Brooke Lopez shoots. So mm-hmm. my money's still on the Clippers, but if the Bucks won, I still wouldn't be, I would be the most shocked out of the three possible contenders, I think, with them in the L.A. teams. But if the Lakers make it through, Anthony Davis is the reason why. Hmm. That's fair. All right, it's time for the music break portion of the podcast. Excited to bring you a full tune from the new Sharp Tooth album, which is called Transitional Forms. Came out about a month ago on Pure Noise Records. Uh, if you also remember, a couple years ago, uh, we interviewed Lauren Cashin from Sharp Tooth uh, on this podcast. Katie and Lauren had a great conversation about a myriad of topics that if you want to go back and listen to, the conversation will be in the show notes. So definitely go back and check that one out if you want to hear it and you'll get to hear tunes from their first album as well so if you like what you hear go over to purenoise.net or purenoise.merchnow.com and get yourself a vinyl copy get yourself a shirt get yourself a digital copy stream the record anywhere you stream music just support the band support the labels do what you can uh get yourself physical copies that's my mo people on here know that but uh do what you gotta do Get get the music in your ears, support the band, support the labels. Now, let's get to this song. It's called The Gray. It's from Sharp Tooth, and it's on their new album, Transitional Forms. Here we go.
was The Grey from Sharptooth off their new album Transitional Forms. If you like what you heard, go to sharptoothband.com, go to purenoise.merchnow.com, get yourself a physical copy, get yourself a shirt, maybe a sweatshirt, maybe a hoodie, whatever. Uh, get get the album in your ears, support the band, support the labels, uh, do what you got to do uh, on, that, on that end. Stream it, just support the band. They're friends of ours. Big fans, uh, they do great work in the world and on the scene. They're a super important band right now, so just make sure that you are supporting them. And now let's finish this conversation with Phoenix Lawson. We're we're gonna go into a final segment here. This is it. The end of the conversation. We've said all we're gonna say about all the other topics. Now it's gonna get into um, a little bit of a lightning round, or as lightning as we can, um, because I know that we're both pretty high context. So I'm just going to ask you a couple of quick things, whatever. We'll get through them. It'll be fine. Uh, and then we'll be done. So thank Let's you go. so much for your time. Of course. Anytime. Hell yeah. Uh, what's your favorite color? Red. Nice. Uh, what's your favorite type of food? Oh, man, something specific so or something broad, whatever works. Because they're on the oven right now, I'm going to say mozzarella sticks. Mm, okay. Oh, fuck. Peanut butter. Yeah, sorry. Peanut butter. Peanut butter is candy, <laughs> but like. Yeah, savory will go mozzarella sticks. Nice, nice. Uh, I'm a cheesecake for my sweets. And uh, what else for my savory? Probably beef jerky. Oh, solid. Yeah. I I have a bag of beef jerky. No, I just put it away. I had a whole bag right next to me. I need to hide it. (laughs) Yeah. My cat loves to eat it, so I, like, baby bird it to them. I, like, chew it up, and then I'll put it in their mouth. (laughs) It's kind of gross. (laughs) <laughs> um cool so what's your favorite place that you've ever like traveled um my favorite place i've traveled is probably london i have this like odd fascination odd desire um fascination of london i've wanted to live there for so long and i'm like if it ever comes to the possibility i'm like we're going we're moving so i just have to give this my partner but it's happening so cool. london I still want to go there. I haven't been there yet. Um, hoping to do that and have Iceland as a sidetrack on the way there or the way back. It'd be yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite like, book? Do you have a favorite book? Oh, God. I knew this question. I don't really read as much. I'm like a comic book, book, graphic novels. Yeah. Well, so I'm a big Joker and Harley Quinn fan. So like anything Joker, anything Harley Quinn, I've like read all of those comic books in and cool. out. Um, so yeah, I can't, I'm going to come back to you on a book though. I'm going to like send it later. But. Cool. Sounds good to me. What about movies? Movies. So my favorite movie of all time is Nightmare Before Christmas. Cause of course it is. Of course. Um, my mo, my favorite most recent movie is probably into the Spider-Verse because hmm. <sighs> Jesus fuck. It's um, a good one. 
Yeah, it's very solid. So those are my two tops. And a sneaker favorite, Jumanji, the OG Jumanji. Oh, hey. Nice. <clears throat> what about um, TV shows? Either right now or all time? Yeah, so college, I didn't watch as much. Like, I stopped watching TV once I got to college and just more Netflix, if anything. Um, but I would say my favorite cartoon of all time is Ed, Ed and Eddie. Um, hey! <laughs> Bastards will always be my favorite. My favorite, like, show show was, like, a mix between Friends and Parks and Rec. But I am also, and my partner's gonna light up when she hears this, I've taken a love of Queer Eye recently. Like, <laughs> the thought of it's been a lot. Um, and then I also just love any, like, baking or, like, cooking competition show on Netflix. Oh. I've been watching a few of those. Hell of a Have you watched Zumbo's Just Desserts? No. Watch that on Netflix because it has the, it's the guy that makes like the most extravagant desserts and then people try to like replicate them. Oh, but like they're all really good chefs. And so definitely watch that. It's based in New Zealand. So everyone's got great accents. Um, Definitely watch that. It's a great British baking show. Love it. Yeah. Um, So Zumbo's just desserts. Very good. Um, And then... We've kind of touched on it, but I'm curious if you have specifics. What are some of your favorite albums of all time? Favorite albums? Um, or even what you're listening to right now? Yeah, I would say some of my fa- I can I can do favorite albums. It won't take it won't kill me too much. Um, favorite albums would be the Wonder Years, No Closer to Heaven. Um, that one just when you combine that with the songs of um, Oh God, don't do it, don't do it. Um, Jesus! Mm-hmm. Ah! The Greatest Generation? Ah! Yes, yes, yes. And no, no, no. There's two of the songs on the fucking album. Okay, never mind. It's fine. I just exposed myself. I'm doing great. Um, so that's my favorite album right now um, and one of the tops of all time. Uh, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, like 182. It has to be. Mm-hmm. Um, And then Homesick. I mean, I have it tattooed on me. I better. Nice. And... If you had me to rank my number one, it's going to actually be fucking Riot from Paramore because either Riot or Brand New Eyes because that's a sleeper, but both of them. Riot is so good. Crush, crush, crush. Yes. Uh, That music, Uh, when that music video came out, me and my friends were just like, no one is better than Haley Williams. No one will be better (laughs) than I need to listen to her singles yeah her, singles. her new album is my favorite thing this year so oh. if you haven't listened to it yet you need to listen to it because it is all over the place and i absolutely love it 15 incredible songs pedals for more let's do it listen 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 to it please um cool well thank you so much for hanging out with me today yeah of course i love it any other anytime you're down to do this again i'm really down i love hearing your perspective and i appreciate that you gave me the time to kind of speak mine Of course. That's what I was hoping to get out of you. So I'm really glad that we got to chat and hopefully um, sometime we'll meet in human form (laughs) (laughs) when we're allowed to do that again. We're allowed to go outside again, but yeah, definitely. You enjoy the rest of your night and I'll enjoy my day. All right. That was it. That's the conversation with Phoenix Lawson. Really hope you enjoyed it. 
Uh, I enjoyed it. Had a lot of fun learning all about Phoenix and learning uh, all about where they come from in the world of punk and in the world of education. Very thankful that they spent some time to chat with me. Uh, hope you also enjoy the tunes from Sharptooth. Go to sharptoothband.com or go to purenoise.merchnow.com and get yourself a copy of the album. Get yourself a hoodie. Get yourself a shirt. Get yourself something. Support the band. Super important band right now. And again, if you want to listen to our conversation with Lauren, the lead singer of Sharptooth uh, from a couple of years ago. The uh, link will be in the show notes, so check it out there. Uh, and if you want to check out more educational opportunities and podcasts, go to connectedu.network to learn all about it. That's all you got to do. It's very easy, very simple, and that's uh, that's all I got. I'm very excited to be back. Uh, new episode coming next week. Yep, I'm going to do one Two weeks in a row again. That'll be nice. And then we'll have, we'll see where we go from there. But yeah, this conversation with Phoenix was fun. Hope you enjoyed it. And now I'm going to play you out with the rest of Life's on the Razor's Edge by Sharptooth. Here we go. And until next week, let's get to work.